All right. Here we go. Quiet. Quiet. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put it all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online contributing editor, Natasha Bogutsky. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online editor-in-chief, Richard Drees! Hey. Thank you for that uh, introduction that levels on um, sheer Kermit opening up the Muppet <laughs> Show levels of enthusiasm. Otherwise known as Rick Dees. Hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> None of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Hey, it's a beautiful spring day. It is. As we record. Actually. And I'm waiting for the snow to happen. No. Oh, sh- I know we had some over the weekend. Yeah, we're 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 past we're past April first. Uh, I'm I'm done with the winter. Oh, it's I've been done time. with it. <laughs> it's well, I was done with winter by about January third. Uh. <laughs> but it's it's springtime. Vaccinations are up. New COVID infections are down. I can I can go get my first shot next weekend. We're going to have a discussion about that off mic because I've <laughs> spent the last two weeks trying to find places to get an appointment, and it's crazy out there. Oh, no, no. no. Uh, work was Here, kind enough to put me through. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say where you work, but it is not in the healthcare industry. No, I will say it is in finance. Okay. I work back office in the healthcare insurance industry. (laughs) And you would think Mm -hmm. that they would, you know, maybe think about caring about (laughs) their employees enough that they would make sure that, you know, we got our COVID vaccinations. Nope. Nope. Not a single peep out of them about here's a resource to help you get your shot we'll give you two hours to take time off to go get your shot and come back or anything like that nothing they want us to die i think my employer wow (laughs) and on that note we are moving right along to a different type of disease and what it causes or should i say virus and what it causes it was called nuclear power ah (laughs) Well, that's not how I wanted to get to Godzilla. Actually, I wanted to get to Godzilla because it's springtime and COVID infections are down. Vaccination numbers are up. Theaters are open. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Thank goodness. That time. And um, oh, gosh, yes. And I'm excited. And we both went to the movies this past weekend. We did. And God, it felt good to be yes, back. It did. Um, I mean, I've okay. Full disclosure, I've snuck off once or twice by myself to see a couple of things. I did see Tenant. Um, As did I, Tenant. There was twice. I, I saw New Mutants because uh, I I was kind of Terminator. A, yeah, <laughs> Terminator. When they had like those retro screenings, which were fun. Um, I'll admit, with New Mutants, I was like, you know what? For better or for worse, I've seen every Fox X Men film in the theater. I don't want to go out on the last one and having to watch it on home video six months from now. It was like one of those you were quite slightly obsessive, obsessive compulsive thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I kind of knew I wanted to do that. So I did go to the theater for that. Um, was very careful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where 
ordering your tickets online where you can pick your seats is great. Our local Cinemark, and I'm sure Cinemark's all around the country, when you buy your tickets, they put two seats of space between you and the next potential person. Okay. Um, now, if you do this properly, you can actually rig it. So you get maybe like three seats. If you decide, well, this person is over here, and then there's two, then there's like five seats next to them on their left that are free. So I know that it's going to automatically buffer those first two. But if I go down to the fifth seat, that means there's going to be a four people buffer, a four empty seat buffer between me and those people on my right. And then you just have to worry about the other people on your left. And also, I've discovered too that. If you just go and there's a couple of different showtimes that are close together, just go sit in the parking lot a few minutes before showtime, pull up the uh, seat chart and say, okay, there's not too many people here. I feel comfortable here. Boom. And you go in and you buy your ticket. Uh, that, I think that's probably the best way. If you're a little leery, he's like, well, I don't want to get there and see there's a lot of people there. But if you're okay with just a smaller number of people for whatever reason, that's that would be my suggestion on how to do that. But yes, we went to see Godzilla vs. Kong, though, this weekend. Mm-hmm. And um, turns out a lot of people went to see Godzilla vs. Kong this yeah. weekend. Um, just taking a look here. Uh, I mean, it came out this past Wednesday. We're recording this on the following Monday. And um, it had already opened overseas. And as of now... We're looking at just under $300 million in worldwide box office, and that includes an opening weekend here in the U.S. of $48.5 million, which is the biggest opening weekend in the pandemic era by, by a long stretch. And um, that's with 60% of theaters open, you know, theaters being at like 60% capacity for being open. And also, this movie being available on HBO Max, where people could stay at home and watch it as part of their regular HBO Max subscription. So the fact that so many people came out to see this movie um, after so long, I think, is very encouraging for long-term theater survival. Well, I would like to say that I think people are just feeling a lot more comfortable now with vaccinations being up and... And COVID cases, they're they're still out there. They're mm-hmm. still growing, but they're not growing at the rate that they once were. Yeah. Um. So people are feeling a little more comfortable with, hey, we can step out. But they are going to be, I think they're going to be a little more picky, a little more choosy about what is worth going to the movie theater to see. Um. I know you and I had this conversation the other day. Godzilla versus Kong, it's a blockbuster movie. And yes, they have the access to watch it on HBO Max right now for free. Um, I'll just say that, for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the spectacle of seeing it on the big screen. True. Like, when Godzilla completely just absolutely bitch slaps Kong, <laughs> yes. you want to see that. You want to see that hand as big as you can get it because the reaction on Kong's face on a bigger screen (laughs) is more beautiful. True. (laughs) And uh, for the record, actual thing that happens in the movie. 
It is not a joke. He gets bitch slapped. Uh, yes. Open-handed bitch slapped. But <laughs> going to see a smaller movie, like, for example, Minari, because mm -hmm. this was something that you and I discussed the yes. other day. Not a lot of people, I think, are going to take the, you know, the trek to the local cinema to go see it. Um Unless you're either a big movie buff or the tentpole movies are just not your cup of tea. Um, I, I know that it is available for VOD right now, but it, to rent it for 48 hours is $30. Why spend $30 if it's just one or two of you in the house when you can go with one or two people to your local cinema and you're going to pay you know less than half for you know tickets well that's for one person i mean if it's a couple you know by the time you throw in popcorn and soda and stuff that you probably already have laying around the house yeah thirty dollars for you know minari probably seems like a good indoor you know at home date night well yeah um and, and that's if you're if that's even you know what floats your boat if you're absolutely going to get, you know, soda and popcorn and this and that. I I know with me, when I go to the movies just by myself, I don't get snacks. I don't get water. I only do that when I'm with a group of people because then it's. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. It's an event. So you're you're going to you're going to sit back. You're, you're gonna feeling snack. more communal. Yeah, exactly. Like, almost similar to like when you're all out at a restaurant. Bingo. Whereas if I'm just going by myself, I don't feel the need to have to go and spend that extra money on stuff at the concession stand. And considering the bar is now closed at our local <laughs> movie theater, well, then what the fuck's the point? Uh, <laughs> yo, okay. trash watching Godzilla at the movie theater. Come on. <laughs> it would have been awesome. It would have been fun. <laughs> I, the movie's fun enough as I, it is. But I, I will admit, though, I think the group that was sitting... In the seats to the left of us were a little trashed even before they walked in the door. They were a chatty bunch. <laughs> they were chatty and, and loud. And I was amazed at my own restraint that I didn't turn to them and say, "Hey, <laughs> you're not on up. your you're not on your home on your couch at home anymore." Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that might actually be a thing we're going to see for a little while as people remember their movie their etiquette. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, that they're, oh, yeah, we're good, blah, blah. They're so used to yapping through a movie because they're sitting at home. That was the most yapping. Year. And I'm I'm taking the baby at the 9 o'clock showing of It Chapter 2 out of, <laughs> <laughs> out of the equation. This is the most amount of chatting that we have had, to, you and I have had to deal with since, oh, Lord, not Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> the Maze Runner screening. The Maze Runner oh, death God. cure. <laughs> God bless that woman. She was a delight. I, she was so, oh like, I think we talked about this when we actually reviewed the movie way back when, <laughs> but, you know, at the screening, there was just one woman who was so into the movie and she just had all these great reactions. <laughs> she wasn't talking to anybody. She was by herself and she was just so into the movie that she was just, and I, I couldn't help but be happy because 
it was radiating off of her the, that whole emotional involvement. I didn't like the movie all that much. So I so didn't good like for it her. either. God bless her for you know finding something in it that you know neither of us saw. <laughs> I guess. I, I um, think everyone else around her was just <laughs> they couldn't attach on to the movie because she was taking away from that experience. Yeah. For us, we were absolutely thrilled that someone was that in touch with it, it's that engaged. Yeah. yeah. But um, but circling back though to what you were what we were you know alluding to our off mm-hmm. mic conversations about the smaller films being available for streaming on like Hulu or Netflix, yeah, or anything. that is that is one of the bigger problems we're seeing this year in that. You know, this, those smaller films that didn't have so much of a budget that um, they would never be able to recoup their money if they go streaming. The, mm-hmm. Those are the films that went streaming. And with the Academy changing up some of their rules about eligibility for movies that went streaming that were in, originally intended to be um, – originally intended to be released theatrically. Yeah. We're suddenly finding – and Variety had a really nice piece about this that I was reading uh, earlier today, that audiences aren't recognizing who the nominated films are. They don't know these films. They took um, an audience awareness poll. They just basically went up to people and said, have you heard of this movie, this movie, this movie, and just said yes or no. The number one film that most people had heard of was Judas and the Black Messiah. And that was 46% of the people polled, randomly polled. And the lowest was Mank. Yeah. With 18%. I have not run into a single person who knows anything about Mank. It's it's frustrating. I mean, the the movie that we're going to review... Also, uh, it doesn't second... help that Mank is also in black and white, which means people wow. are... If they, they don't know about it no matter what. That that's Even, not putting them off and saying I don't want to see it. Yeah, but they're just they just don't know it exists. Or if they did know it exists, they saw something in passing and they went, "Oh, black and white," and, and completely forgot that they okay. had ever seen anything about it. Okay, that's that's fair. I will grant you that's absolutely fair because I know when Man came out, Netflix pushed it hard. Yeah, within like its first week, week and a half. Mm-hmm. So obviously, that's not a case of people not knowing about it. Because it was obviously being marketed. Mm-hmm. It was the fact that someone who was looking at it went, this movie is not for me because it's in black and white. Passing, moving Click. on. Click. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Trial of the Chicago 7. Another thing that Netflix pushed really hard mm-hmm. when it came out. 39% awareness. Yep. Which is shocking to me. I mean, I, I get that we live in a bubble of movies. And I get that, you know... If we had to identify names as to whether they played on the Philadelphia Phillies or not this year, I would absolutely mammothly fail that <laughs> that quiz. I understand that. But this could be a problem in terms of the uh, audience rating for the Academy Awards. You know, how many people tune in for the Academy Awards when you don't know any of the uh, horses in the big horse race. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we already saw that Golden Globe ratings were way down. Mm-hmm. 
um, People's Choice Awards, I think, were way down, too, in terms of ratings, which is sad because, you know, hey, it's the people, right? I, I think this <laughs> um, year people watched more television than they watched movies. Okay. I don't have, you know, numbers for the Emmys, um, but for what's coming up or anything. So you may be right, and there may be more vested interest in watching the Emmys or not. I don't know. But usually, you know, the Oscars are the king daddy of the award show season. They're always the one, no matter what every, anybody else does, they've, they're always the one with the highest rating mm-hmm. and the biggest viewership. And right now, though, I'd imagine, I have to believe that the Academy is crapping themselves in the, <laughs> because they don't understand, um, you know, they don't see or they don't have something that really can hook in the average viewer. You know, some guy in, um, you know, Colorado or, you know, Virginia or something like that, or a family in New Mexico, somewhere that where they're like, you know, let's watch the Oscars tonight because I'm rooting for Promising Young Woman, Nomadland. These people, I, I just don't see a lot of people having seen a lot of these films. No. And this audience awareness poll... Which is... Really, really kind of backs it up. Uh, Promising Young Woman... Uh, before which has 34 percent, by the way yeah just to put that into the promising young woman before covid hit last year the trailer was jumping around online mm-hmm. um so i was i was aware of it all the way back to like january of last year yeah um and i remember seeing people who i know who are not big movie people who watched the trailer for that and went i have to see this movie Mm-hmm. I need to see this movie. And then COVID happened. Yeah. And it just got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. I think by the time it came out, it fell so far under the radar that all of the buzz that they had generated early on in the marketing process, all the excitement died out. It fizzled out during lockdown. Oh, yeah. I, I would agree with you there. But my hope going forward here is that – Studios keep all of this in mind when they're looking at things that happened over the last year and even over the next 8 to 12 months going forward that things are so out of sorts, so out of whack that you can't say, well, a film like Minari may have gotten great reviews, but no one saw it. So you can't say that because this year has been so monumentally screwy you can't make decisions based on anything that happened during the pandemic i will say and i have a i have a i'm scared that some of them are still going to use that as justification yes we are seeing shifts in uh the streaming and shifting towards more streaming was something that was inevitable and this kind of sped it up in certain ways Mm -hmm. but i don't want to see any of the negative impact of covid you know, influencing thinking unjustly. Where, well, at, whereas, give me a half a second here. I'll, I'll get to you. I'm sorry. Whereas, I would be perfectly happy if somebody said, "Wow, Godzilla versus Kong opened to roughly the same amount of money that Godzilla King of the Monsters opened with on that on its opening weekend, but it did it in a COVID environment with 60 percent of the theaters open and the movie available." For anybody who had HBO Max. 
that would look like a stronger opening, uh, stronger opener. So you know, let's let's do another round of uh, Godzilla movies, as an example. If you look at like those positive stories, I'm fine with that. You know, using those. But there's a lot of people who worked on a lot of things, and to say where something negative happened because of COVID is a reason not to do it after COVID is over is bad business and it hurts arts and it hurts uh, a lot of the artists. I'm sorry. You were about to say though. (laughs) What I was about to say was that might work for a film like Godzilla versus Kong because they can work multiple platforms and everyone's still going to freaking watch it without the right marketing. And I think without theatrical runs for indie films, if they all just went to streaming, who would watch them? They're going to disappear. Bingo. Yeah. Have you tried to find something on Netflix? (laughs) Yes. Okay. You, 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 this should be a video podcast just for the look I'm giving you. (laughs) (laughs) And the reaction that I'm giving you. Um, Well, here's the problem with that is it sets up almost like a, a the algorithm that shows you certain movies will not market movies to you that they thinks you won't like. So obviously you and I are going to get things like Trial of the Chicago 7, like Mank, that pops up in our queue because we have similar movies that we have watched. Whereas, for example, one of my girlfriends is all about animation and she is all about, you know, anime and all that. She's not going to find any of those that pop up. They're they're not going to pop up for. And I know because I have looked at her Netflix. I've gone over and stayed the night, popped up her Netflix and went, is there anything in here that isn't anime or animated? Like, I, I appreciate that you like animation. I mean, Over the Moon is there, a Oscar-nominated animated film mm-hmm. for this year. I, I absolutely applaud that. But when it comes to the heavy hitters, she's not watching any of them. She's not. And, and they're not going to show them to her. So I feel like whilst the algorithm can be good for you, in terms of showing you obscure uh, films that are similar in what you already like to watch that no one else has probably seen, it's not going to show you anything that is obscure that you have never seen because it's not your taste. Yeah. And I think that's a detriment to any movie watcher is that you should always have a little bit of everything under your belt. Oh yeah, and you should be offered that too. And I, I agree. I I have to feel that that's like a a, a snowball problem mm-hmm. where. And the thing is, you, is most most uh, streaming services are built in a similar fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and say say you enroll in Netflix, and you say, "Oh, okay, great, Netflix. I'm gonna. I, I hear there's so much on here. I can't wait to dive into all of it. But the first thing I'm gonna watch is um this horror movie I heard about. And maybe you watch two or three horror movies in a row that first week. Netflix just thinks all you care about is horror movies, and they're going to start feeding more of that towards you. So you kind of have to jump over the algorithm in a way Mm -hmm. and go, no, I don't want to watch just horror movies. I also want to, you know, watch um, 1980s comedies. 
and then you have to, you know, go there and watch. And see if you can find one. Yeah, see if you can find one. You have to. <laughs> yeah, you, it's hard to do categories in Netflix. It's hard to. Netflix doesn't have a lot that is before like 1980. That's true too. Yeah, that's a whole other problem with the Netflix. The fact that I found two 1950s Sophia Loren films recently on there just baffles the hell out of me. <laughs> but I know it is because Netflix put out a movie with Sophia Loren this past year, which is mm -hmm. up for best foreign uh, feature film. So... Yeah, they're, they're pretty much just saying, oh, did you like her in this? Well, here's some of her earlier, earlier iconic works. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's great if you're looking for the movie that she did on Netflix. Yeah, they're, they didn't push it really hard. Hmm. It popped up in my queue at one point because um, because they know that that style of film indie films uh independent critically acclaimed films those are things that pop up in my queue because i watch a lot of them um but it's not going to pop up in my girlfriend's queue even though it is it, it is a foreign language it's italy and it's live action it's not going to pop up uh, in hers and true, drama true and of course part of the problem with netflix not having a whole lot of older films are the rights holders are not renewing those licensing agreements mm -hmm. with Netflix because they're launching their own series, their their own streaming services. You know, you're not going to get Maltese Falcon on Netflix because Warner Brothers is like, we're putting that as one of our crown jewels on HBO Max. Right now, HBO Max is my ultimate go. Uh, HBO Max and Amazon Prime are my ultimate go tos for anything movie related at this moment. I would. Just about agree with you with that. Hulu, um, I'm, I'm, I, anything that's on Hulu, I have access to on Amazon Prime. For some okay. reason, they're free on both platforms. Um, a, not everything, but mm -hmm. a lot of the major stuff. Um, I, I find I'm watching a lot of movies on Hulu, Amazon Prime, um, all the Warner stuff, uh, which is available through um, HBO Max, mm -hmm. especially the, the TCM hub. And, I mean, I still have about five or six things I've DVR'd off of Turner Classics itself yeah. that aren't available on, like, Hulu's TCM. Oh, by the way, that reminds me. Um, Turner Classic Movies has a hub on Hulu. And some of the yeah. free movies there aren't also on they're, – well, they're not – the titles aren't replicated between that and well, HBO Max. Yes. Yeah. Well, the ones that are over on TCM that are for free are usually the ones that have recently – were shown on TCM. Yes. So you, it's kind of you playing catch up with what played earlier this yeah. week, which is great. Mm -hmm. not, um, not every title. But no, some but yeah. but some of them. Um, but yeah, no, Hulu. Hulu is kind of a go to right now for some of the television shows. Um, like if I'm gonna watch Killing Eve, The Great, um, A Handmaid's Tale, hell, Will and Grace, I'm going over to Hulu right now. Um, Netflix, I think I'm only hanging on to Netflix so I can watch Penny Dreadful. <laughs> Seriously, it's okay. like the only um, reason. Yeah, I'm I'm hanging in for net on Netflix out of habit, mm -hmm. and and because they do create new content. Yeah. Um, Marriage there's... Story, Irishman, like they do have good stuff that they create. The problem is, is it's not getting marketed mm -hmm. to everyone. It's only being marketed to the right people in their in True. their eyes and there's 
that's pretty much how it's going to be for the next uh, foreseeable future. But yeah, but um, HBO Max, but HBO Max has so much to offer right now. It's not just the Warner Brothers stuff, but they do have access to Crunchyroll. Um, they have access to Sesame Workshop, Looney Tunes, uh, Studio Ghibli stuff. Studio Ghibli, which I yeah. I, I need to take like a week and just go boom right down and pick up like the five or six of those movies that I've not watched yet and I feel bad about. Yeah, DC Universe. It has access to so much right there at your fingertips. In Amazon Prime again offers everything. You can either rent it or it's for free. But you you have access to literally everything across the platform from, you know, Showtime and Stars all the way down to Hulu, Britbox, any any streaming service you can ask for, you can access through Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. So for right now, that's where my money is. And for right now, I think we're going to leave it there. We'll be right back in a few minutes with our review of The Father. Stay tuned. There are few fears more primal than that of losing one's perception of the world around them, not just through the loss of one particular sense, like sight or hearing, but of the loss of trust in what those senses are relaying to us. And that's the world that the estimated 5 million people in the United States who suffer from some form of age-related dementia or Alzheimer's live in. And that's the world that French playwright Florian Zeller took audiences into with his 2012 play, La Père. The story of an elderly man in the early stages of dementia, Zeller took his audiences into the mind of the character as he slowly succumbs to the disease as his daughter tries to find the best way to care for him. The play won France's equivalent of a Tony Award, the Moliere Award, for best play, and when it was transferred to Broadway two years later, Frank Langella would win a Tony for his portrayal of the title role. Fast forward to 2021, and Zeller has brought his play to the screen, with Anthony Hopkins as the father and Olivia Colman as his daughter. And in the wake of it receiving six Academy Award nominations, the film's distributor has widened its release. So, Natasha. Yes. How effective was the film in placing you into the mindset of someone who has onset dementia? Well, um... Let me just start off by saying that my late grandmother had um, dementia up until she passed. Uh, I measure a film on how it makes me feel based off of how I sit sometimes and how much I sometimes nerves take over. And I I, this is going to sound really gross to everyone watching. I'm sorry. I chew at my cuticles if a movie stresses me out. Um, This movie had me originally facing you mm-hmm. yeah we were Lean, sitting i was the like leaning, leaning towards you on to that armrest um and then i think somewhere around what was it, we were about 30 percent of the film in or something like that and my ass went to the far armrest mm-hmm. and scooted in its chair as far away from you as i could get I didn't take it personally. But no, 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 it's no. fine. Um, and then by the end of the film, I think I was looking at about four fingers just gnawed 
like I, they were in pain for the rest of the day and the next mm-hmm. day afterwards. That's how bad. So obviously, um, this movie got to me on many levels. It stressed me out. It took me back to a place that I had only ever experienced from the outside. And now I was looking in and I was scared. Um, and I, 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 I would go as far as to say that for Anthony Hopkins, this might be his best performance since Silence of the Lambs. I, I would definitely agree with you there. It's, it's incredibly moving. It's incredibly touching. And it's and subtle. It's, for most of it, it is subtle, but mm-hmm. it is strong. It's, it's well observed. Yeah. Um, you know, my both of my parents are dealing with age-related uh, uh, mental issues, brain issues. Dad has um, dad has dementia. Um, he has you know his short-term memory shot to hell. Uh, you can have the same conversation with him three times in the space of an hour, and I'm I'm always fascinated by that because he will always respond and react when you tell him something the almost the exact same way mm-hmm. maybe the phrasing is just a little different but it's always the same kind of reaction not hey dad i heard this oh that's great and then the next time hey dad i heard that oh that's terrible you know it's always variations on the same reaction which which i th- i'm sure there's probably something in neuroscience that explains all that um but but i found it very fascinating when i when you know when i saw that starting to happen with him um and my mom has a uh, Parkinson's and we're just not sure what she is perceiving anymore. Um, we try to have conversations with her. She seems to be responding back, but we don't know what she's hearing us say. We don't know what she thinks she's saying. It's, it's tough. It's emotionally very tough. Yeah. And I think both. I of understand us- the situation with your, your mom, because my dad, my, my late father also had, Parkinson's really bad so like the last year and a half he just stopped talking and he would just stare just stare at you and if he did say something it was very soft almost in a whisper and I don't even think he knew what he was saying if he because if I asked him to repeat it he couldn't he would just clam up mm-hmm. um so yeah, I mean this this film really this, hit us both. The, we were both. I, I was looking over at you a few times, just like, is he okay? I was I, like checking I was, on I you. I was doing the same thing for you, because <laughs> you know I would glance over, and that's how I noticed you like drifting off to your right as you curled up, as the movie went on, and... hugging the bottle of water. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, but going into it, I think both of us were we, we knew what we were getting into. Yeah, and we dreaded it a little bit originally i did want to kind of go see this movie by myself and then you were just like well i'm probably gonna go see it even though i know what it's gonna put me through and i'm just like you know what fuck it let's go see it together therefore we have someone to lean on when it's over (laughs) yes um and thankfully we did because literally at the end we were in tears we were we were sitting on the bench crying and and hugging (laughs) each other it's it's a very amazingly emotional and evocative film and and i don't ever see you get emotional not in the way me i get traumatized by things you yeah 
I, I remember sitting next to you at least three different times we went and saw Avengers Infinity oh War. And you were in you were in tears as Peter Parker dissolves away at the end. Uh, and, and everybody else was Yeah, it was everyone you know, during else the snap. I think more, but you, yeah. and you were just like ah! And I think we saw Endgame about three or four times each, and you were just a puddle every time Tony passed. And not it's, as it's much, not as much as uh, that poor <laughs> woman who was two rows in front of us. You could hear her all the way in the back row. She was like, wailing. She was like a wailing mourner at a f- Irish funeral. <laughs> she was keening. <laughs> True. That was yeah. Talk, talking about <laughs> talking about um, dealing with audiences' reactions around <laughs> you. Uh, but yeah, so. I mean, you know, and I think I've probably used this quote before. At least I know I have in my writing uh, on Film Buff. But I think even on the podcast, I've often mentioned how Roger Ebert said movies are an empathy machine. They're designed to make you feel something. Mm-hmm. And my God, this thing was operating at a thousand percent efficiency. Oh, God, yeah. It, it's amazing. Uh, it's just it's just heartrending. And it's... Olivia Coleman's putting her in in the daughter's shoes having to see this having having to see this from the outside Mm -hmm. as the the daughter who takes care of her father is going through this yeah my one of my older brothers is the closest person to the the facility the nursing home where my parents are Mm -hmm. and so he a lot of that burden falls on him yeah and he's fine with that and you know i'm 100 miles away i don't you know, I don't have a big hand in the day-to-day care. Um, all of my brothers and I have a chat that we, you know, check mm-hmm. in on. And, you know, the, one of my other brothers who's in charge of all the financials says, okay, this is the status. This is this. The nursing home is telling us this or whatever. Or, you know, my oldest brother would be like, oh, by the way. And especially this past year during COVID, yeah. couldn't get down to see him because the nursing home was locked down. The nursing home did a great job. I, you know, to tangent off here for a second, these guys were fantastic. Um, they had the facility locked down for months where the only people in and out were the staff. And very, very rarely, maybe twice in the space of like nine or ten months, did we get emails that said one of the staff tested positive. They've been isolated away from um, all the uh, patients. And all the residents, and we're going to test everybody again. Boom. And they do. And they keep testing. And, you know, there was never an issue with any of the residents there. And, and they're I'm, extremely lucky. Yes. Because Pennsylvania's not had a great tra- track record, unfortunately. So, you know, four or five years ago when, you know, my parents were still lucid and we were all part of that conversation of picking where they were going to, you know, going to reside. Because um, we, you know, we knew the progression of everything and we picked this place we really lucked out yeah i i would definitely say that and um so you know what i I could definitely relate to a lot of the the fears that olivia coleman was going Mm -hmm. through her character trying to figure out where you know what's going to be best for you know her father you know me and my brothers have all, all had conversations with my dad and my mom 
you know, basically coming down to, look, he took care of us, you know, all of us for, you know, 50 some years. My oldest brother is 58, 59 now. Um, maybe. Yeah. 59. He's not quite 60 yet. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's time to, you know, let us, you know, take care of you and find, you know, good places for, you know, that are going to help you, um, be comfortable and, you know, give you, you know, a dignity and everything like that. And, um, you know, so I, it was very easy to relate to what she was going to because those are tough decisions and they don't, they don't shortchange that. And she doesn't shortchange that in her performance. No. Even though everything is pretty much from his perspective. His perspective. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the editing and the set design because they do this this film is has is not heavy on special effects. It is not heavy on its scoring, doing a lot of the work. This is an actor's movie. Mm -hmm. This film is so good because the writing and the acting works hand in hand with each other. Um, so if your writing is good and your actors are good, that is literally all you need. The rest is just window dressing, but they do such beautiful window dressing <laughs> with the set design and the editing on this film. Let's talk a little bit about okay. this. What I really liked about this was they never give you a solid answer about any scene whatsoever is um, is the character of Anthony played by Anthony Hopkins? Is he in his own apartment at first, or has he been living with his daughter and her husband, mm -hmm. and has forgotten that this is their place? And just he's just assuming it's his because he's there. Is she divorced or not? Because he has one conversation with her where she says she is divorced, and then you know, a man shows up and says, "No, I'm your son-in-law. We're not divorced." And they, or they uh, never, I was never married. I was never married. They they do a lot of things there that that are very contradictory, and very quickly the movie establishes you know that it's from strictly his point of view, and they play with that a lot in terms of one thing you know we talked about this and production design is one of the five uh, categories that's nominated in for an Oscar along with editing. Um, when he thinks he's in his apartment, when mm -hmm. he thinks he's in his daughter's flat, when he goes to a doctor's office for a checkup. It's almost the it's, entirely same flat. Yeah. it's The walls are very similar in terms of like how they have um, uh, cornices and things like that. And um, there's some of that similar, and then sometimes they switch things around a little bit. Like a painting will be missing, or the tiling on the back of the kitchen wall will be different, and there will be under lighting on the cabinets. Or it's it's just it's so subtle that you and I were going, wasn't there a mirror in the corner there? Mm -hmm. And it's it's where did the valet go? And it's just the filmmaker's way of putting us into. The mindset that he can't trust his perceptions. Yeah. They talk a lot about um, the unreliable narrator in storytelling. Mm -hmm. 
this is the unreliable. I don't know. It's not an unreliable narrator. It's an unreliable film. The film itself is unreliable. We don't trust it because the f- the lead character whose eyes we are v- virtually, literally seeing this all through doesn't trust it or can't trust it or is confused by these changes. Doesn't understand doesn't his understand. own mind. Yes. But yeah, I mean, the- things will things will disappear. And then they'll reappear, but then at the exact same time when they reappear, something else is gone. And, like, for example, I'm using the bedroom as this example. Okay. When we first see it, it is the way it is perceived as Anthony's flat. Um, He had, like, a... a, What do you call those? Like, a tilt mirror in the corner and a valet. Yeah. And um, his bed with a chair next to it and a certain type of headboard a certain type of headboard Uh, we should i should just interrupt for a half second we are going to kind of get into some spoilers here for the second half of the movie yeah um so if you haven't seen it um hit pause run out see it come back um or if you want to prepare yourself keep listening so you kind of have an idea what you're in for because this is not a movie that i would say just, uh, just go see, yeah, don't, just don't jump see and go it without see it. knowing anything about it. It's, yeah, it's not one of those movies. It's not gonna lie. I'm, I'm literally gonna do everything I can to keep my mom away from this movie because this is absolutely a movie that she, of her own free will, would go and see. And I'm not quite certain she could handle going to see it right now. I, <laughs> I, un- I understand. I, you know, this I is know a movie mom, that comes with mom, a warning. But- yeah, this would be a rough watch for her. It's a rough set. Yeah. And that's I'm not saying that in any form of a negative whatsoever. No, it's an, it's an absolute positive because yes. it really does connect to you and make you feel like you're a part of it. Mm-hmm. But if you are going through a situation with a family member or something like this where it can be extremely raw, I would say either prepare yourself before walking in or just try to skip over this one for a little while. Yeah. Come back around to it mm-hmm. when you are in a better position to handle it. True. But you were saying about the bedroom. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so one of the first things I noticed was w- the the way that the room was set up. He leaves, and then the next time we come back, the tilt mirror is gone. The valet is gone. Uh, the chair has completely changed, and the curtains and everything else is the same. And then in the next take, the uh, the chair is still the same, but the curtains have changed, and the wallpaper has changed, and the tilt mirror is back. Like, it's it's all frazzled because we're thinking about three separate locations smooshed together as one. And, and makes does- it match. Yeah. yeah. And later on, when we we are reasonably sure he is at, um, a, at a nursing home, yeah. his, his uh, you know, personal bedroom room is very similar setup as well. With the exception of the hospital bed. Except there's a hospital bed there, but you still have that mirror, you the dresser, still have the, the chair. Ba- yeah, and things like that. And you know, it's it's constantly shifting around and that I think the timeline, I don't think this is a completely straight narrative. No, in the back of my head, this all takes pl- because the editing is so choppy. We are bouncing back. And, so. It is intentionally. So, for example, um, this more like I'd say twenty minutes in, they talk about this morning we went to the doctors, and then all of a sudden they're going to the doctors around like 
the hour mark. Mm-hmm. And you're realizing they jumped back to before this morning. Did they? Uh, or did they? Or yeah, did that, they? That's, yes. that's the question you're asking yourself is did they or didn't they? You don't have any idea of the timeline in this. But the way I put it in my head is he's been in the nursing home this entire time. And the and everything is bleeding together, which is why the nurses that we see at the end have shown up previously in the film as characters is because everything is kind of bleeding together. When, when he together. was confused as to who might be his daughter and her husband. Exactly. Okay, I can accept that read, mm-hmm. but I am also... Not going to endorse trying to figure this movie out. No, at no, all. don't. No. It'll it, hurt your head even yeah, more than watching it. This is not a J.J. Abrams puzzle <laughs> box movie or mystery box movie or whatever he calls that. It's not something to be figured out. This is not no. lost. This is not anything like that. This is a movie that is that, m- supposed to make you feel empathy for the lead character. You're you're supposed to understand, to understand his confusion. Yeah, you're supposed to understand his fear about losing his um cognition of reality you're supposed to understand um the confu- like i said the confusion and the fear and it all and i think one of the things about it too is it also the insight gives you awareness in case you start seeing things as you get older um one of the things i i i randomly came across a video that was done at uh, Toronto International Film Festival when the film first opened there mm-hmm. and it, with the director, Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins. And Anthony talked about how when he was shooting it, there were actually moments where he was forgetting, did I already say this line? Where did I put that prop? He couldn't remember things mm-hmm. and it scared the hell out of him. So he went to the doctor. And the doctor's like, no, you're fine, but you are getting so deep into this character. You're pushing yourself and be careful because the brain can play tricks on you while you're taking on this persona. You will start to develop some of the traits of this character while doing that. And that's that's scary because you don't know when you're playing a character like that what is real and what isn't real. Mm-hmm. So, oh, where did I put my watch? Is that me or is that the character? Actually, where is the watch? <laughs> Anthony? Yes, I am Anthony. Yes. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's really fucking tricky. Yeah, th- I think in the original play, the pa- uh, the parent's name was uh, Andre. And they just anglicized it for the English mm. to Anthony. And then, well, Anthony Hopkins. Which, why didn't they change it to freaking Andrew? That's the I don't Anglo know. of it. Ma- oh. Maybe that once they hired Hopkins, they were like, eh, let's just go with Anthony then. Um, I don't know. Which, but I, that would mess with my head. <laughs> it, I, normally, playing a character who has a similar name to you is it's nothing. But when you're playing uh, a character who can't remember where they, if they tied their own shoes, or if they flushed the toilet, or if they can even remember their own name, that would just confuse the hell out of me. Are yeah. you talking to me or to the character? Maybe that helped the performance then. I don't Perhaps. know. Perhaps. I don't know. I have a I have a question for you, Rich. Okay. If they were to choose one scene 
um, from this movie for both of our characters' performances? Which scene do you think they're going to choose? Let's start with Olivia. Well, then we'll go to Anthony. Um, honestly, it seems so ne- normal and plain and boring. But I think the dinner scene. Something from there where she gets upset. I was looking at the opening when she first gets there and is telling him about um, moving to Paris. I think that would be hers. Okay, that's a good one, too. Um, for Hopkins, <laughs> throw, throw a rock at that movie, you can, and you're going to hit a good scene yeah, that you could use. For him. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, I, I think I know we both talked about the end monologue, oh my and God. which I think yeah. is, I think that's the capper that just, I think, kind of ripped us both up. There were definitely two particular scenes that hit us hard. One was midway through with an altercation with uh, Mark Gatiss's character. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Um, yeah, and I'm not going to get into why. <laughs> it. I mean, it, uh, only because it was... It, it hit it was, on a personal level. It was level. hallucinations. Yeah. And there were some... You know, m- my mom had a hallucination yeah. about... A perceived act of violence against her, which did not happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely did not happen. But when I've heard of it, you know, my first, I was like, I was like, no, obviously this is not real. But that her brain could even conceive of that killed me. It just destroyed me. Yeah. Um, um, but the, but yeah, that, that scene in the, the end. The end monologue uh, when he just breaks down. And the thing is, is that mo- that end scene is on YouTube. It's like right underneath the trailer. Oh. Out of all, all the freaking scenes in the film. But the thing is, is you can't tell if that's actually the end of the movie or not. Well, we just did, but... <laughs> well, no, um, The way oh, it's presented on YouTube, though. Yeah. Still, I wouldn't have put that out there. Um, but it is the most powerful... I would say that it is the most powerful scene in the film. Hmm. Um, when he just breaks down in front of the nurse. Yeah. And he reverts back to a childlike innocence and mm-hmm. begging um, for his mother at that point. And it's 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 such a beautiful, beautiful scene. And God love Hopkins. He's how – what, in his 80s at this mm-hmm. point? And he still just goes out and throws a dart and hits the goddamn bullseye, throws Every another time. one. And completely pulls a Robin Hood and just <laughs> splits the first dart. It, it's this film is an act. It's just a work of genius. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it falls into the category for me of movies that I will never be able to watch again. That's actually the question I was going to ask you because <laughs> we both think it's fantastic. Um, there's a couple of films that I've seen that I'm just like, this is a work of pure cinematic art. It's genius. Mm-hmm. It's emotionally devastating. Forget it. Never going to see it again. <sighs> uh, what movies are on your list um, in that category? Four months, three weeks, two days, which is um, uh, Kristen Jamoon. I think that's his name. I apologize if I've butchered that. Um, he's a Yugos, uh, Czechoslovakian filmmaker. Uh, 2007 that came out. It was um, screened at the New York Film Festival, and I was doing press for that that year. 
And it's a very, very tough movie about a young woman trying to get an abortion in communist era 1980s Czechoslovakia. Oh. It's it's amazing. It's so well done. And at the end of it, I was like, I'm glad I saw this. I'm going to write about this. I don't think I could ever watch this movie again. And um, at more uh, another title that probably more people have heard of, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem is on my yeah. my list, and I watched it uh, while I was having a bath. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was literally not a fun time. I was there. just like, am I going to Whitney Houston myself by the <laughs> end of it? Jeez, girl. <laughs> But um, I, I may come back to this movie at some point. I will too Honestly, when things are not as yeah, rough. I, um, it probably not until several years after my parents have passed. So maybe in like ten years, I'll come back and rewatch this movie, and I would hope that it affects me the still same yeah. the same way or in a similar way. Um, but yeah, right now it's 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 a rough watch. But I I honestly recommend it. Um, for even if you know, it's like, oh, gosh, I know my parents are dealing with dementia or some other age-related brain or memory thing. I absolutely, honestly recommend it because, if anything, it's the cathartic release of seeing other people you know, dealing with that, understanding a little bit more about what your loved one may be going through. And it, I, th- I think that is what makes this one of the best movies of the year. It really is. Um I know with me, I have a couple movies on that list. Pursuit of Happiness, uh, Precious. Mm-hmm. Precious is definitely one I'll never be able to watch again. And surprisingly, um, Party's Just Beginning almost made that list. It almost did. It's it. That's yeah. That's uh, I mean, it's a movie we've both seen multiple times. Yeah. Because you know we were blown away by it, and it was on our best of list mm-hmm. for 2019. It was. Um, I'm sorry, no, 2018. 2018, yes, Yes. 2018. No, that movie hit on a very, very personal level, um, but it was, as you stated, the cathartic release that I needed to help with the situation that I was going through. So even though um, it hit hard, just like this movie does, um, it was actually kind of, it was medication. I actually needed that. Mm -hmm. And I think for some people, this, this movie... The father is the medication, the balm that you need to help soothe the pain that you're going through, or at least allow you to understand it a little better. That That's a very beautiful thought. And um, I think that just about wraps us up for this week. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com. And we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there. Search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back next week with a retro review of the classic A Man for All Seasons, which won six Academy Awards. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. I'm still here, but yet I'm gone. Don't play guitar or sing my songs It never defined who I am The man that loved you till the end You're the last person I
Miss you.